Father, we do thank you once again, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word, to get involved. And God, I do pray now that as we, as we look again one more time at, at this group of six that you've given us, Lord, speak to our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us. And, and Lord, I pray that this would impact our lives in a, in a great, great way. So have your way here today and be glorified, God, as we study this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage people and trying to encourage them to stay the course, to keep faithful, to do the walk. And listen, I know sometimes life just gets hard. It gets difficult. We get bombarded with things. Things Sometimes uh, we feel like, man, it just is all going bad. It's all too hard. And that's where faith comes in. And I believe those people were there and he's writing them, listen, be encouraged, be strong, you can do this. And so then he gives us the examples and we've been looking for quite a while at these men and women of faith. Way back starting with Abel, of those of you who have been around you know, for eight and a half years as we've been studying this. And we started with Abel and then, listen, and we went to Noah and, and, and then we went to Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and we just been kind of walking through with these different people that had to exercise faith, trust in God. They had to put that out. And so, listen, and then lately we've been looking at, at these six, right, that we've broken down to kind of, kind of get a handle on, Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel. Last time we looked at Samuel, now we're down to David. And this is one of my favorite studies. I, listen, I, I love thinking about David. And when you think about David, and you think about what he went through, you're going, man, I wanna teach about David, but what do you pick? There's a lot of stuff. And where did David exercise the most faith? A lot of us like think slaying that giant, that was huge, right? And I think that was, that was obviously very huge. But we're gonna look at something a little bit different here this morning. So I wanna read, listen, I just wanna read 32 through 34, then we'll jump over to Samuel. And it says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, of Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to fight the armies of the aliens, and then women received their dead, raised to life again. Again, he's kind of laid that out and given us this list of six people and then talked about some others that we're gonna look at next week. But when we think about these six, man, we're down to David. And when you think about David, here's the place I think he exercised the most faith in 2 Samuel that we're gonna look at. 2 Samuel chapter 12, turn there. While you're turning there, we'll just kind of talk about what happened as he was uh, uh, walking, remember, kind of catching us up for those who aren't familiar with David. I think everybody's pretty familiar with David and what he's done and, and the things he's done. But remember, anointed king, right? He was this punk kid, 
Even his dad didn't think he was that good. I mean, I, that, that was kind of hard on him, I think. You know, remember Samuel came and he brought all the brothers and then Samuel goes, this is it. And he goes, yeah, I got this other one out doing sheep, but you don't want to have anything. He's just, a, he's just that other kid. What a bummer for David. Those of you might have been that other kid in your family, I don't know. But, you know, he's the other one. And then, and then God anoints him king, and then he has the battle with the giant, and then he serves Saul, then Saul goes berserko, then him and Saul, I called it, played ring around the desert for 15 years, right? As they're fighting and chasing and doing stuff, and David's trying to get away, and doing it. finally David gets on the throne. So 15 years, we might look at that whole period, that's a lot of faith to know that you're king and wait 15 years. And that's a lot to go through. And, and you can read all of that in 1 Samuel. And, and then finally we get to the place where he's anointed king. His wife doesn't like so much what's going down. And he has that little battle going on. Then he's doing battle. And then we come to chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. And that's the bummer. David goes out on his roof. And he looks across and he sees Bathsheba. He didn't just glance, right? He was drawn away. And I, I, I read chapter 11 and I go, oh. And then I always do this. Come on, David, get off the roof. Get off the roof, right? Don't you kind of root that your Bible will change? And David turned and went back in the house. Come on. And we know he blows it. But here's the good news. Even when we blow it, even when we blow it, probably the worst we can blow it, there's still hope. Because there's always hope in Jesus Christ. You might say, well, David didn't have Jesus. Well, he kind of did. He had the hope of the Messiah. So listen, man, he does that and he blows it big time. I, I, at the end of verse 11, it says this, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Think about that. He did this thing and it displeased the Lord and we're gonna find out, hey, it had some severe consequences in his life and in, in his kingdom. But we're also gonna find out there's hope. Check this out. I don't know when David wrote this. You know, it's, it's, this is Psalm 32 and I'm just gonna read this section to you and you can go read it later. But I don't know if David wrote this. Most scholars say they think they wrote it between chapter 11 and chapter 12. They think they wrote it before Nathan actually showed up. But listen to what he says. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Then I kept silent. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, but my vitality was turned into the drought of the summer. Sin will suck life out of you. Exactly what David's describing here. It will suck life out of you. And I believe, I believe it from the end of chapter 11 to the beginning of chapter 12, I think is about a year, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less, I don't think the time's real important, but he went through, listen, man, he went through a down, 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 down time, and he's struggling, and, and, and listen, man, he can't quite get it together because he's not facing his sin. Saints, face your sin. And the most important thing, admit your sin is sin, and we're gonna see that. 
So David, listen, David is kind of struggling, and here's the good news. God knows he's struggling, and God said, I know what I can do. And so what does he do? Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, I just want to stop and think about that for a moment. If you're familiar with the story of David, you'll know this Nathan guy showed up about five chapters ago, right? They didn't know chapters, but showed up a while ago. And remember when he showed up, all he had was good news for David. Hey, David, here's what's gonna happen. Here's what your kingdom's gonna look like. Here's what your family's gonna look like. Here's how everything's gonna go down. Now, now I'm obviously paraphrasing, right? And it's gonna be great. And I'm thinking, man, I'm thinking at that point, David and Nathan bonded, right? When people bring good news, you're like, whoo, I love you. And so they have this bonding and I think they have this friendship that has gone on for a few years now. And something important to understand, generally when we're in trouble, more often than not, well, I should, I'm gonna kinda go out on a limb. God sends a friend, not an enemy. Listen carefully, he didn't send an enemy to confront David, he sent a friend. And what does the proverb say? The wounds of a friend are healing, right? So here's a friend coming. And I think of that. And then also, though, I got to think of Nathan. Hey, I know we're looking at David's faith, but I got to think of Nathan's faith. Can you imagine approaching the ruler of your country, the guy in charge, and pretty much, listen, these guys were autonomous, right? David didn't answer to anybody. And he's a little bit of a crazy guy. Go back and read the stuff he does. And he's not like, he's, and right now he's not real stable. And God has called you and said, hey, I want you to go confront that guy. I think I would tell God, you know, I'm sure there's somebody else who could do it so much better than me. And can raise up another person. But Nathan goes, so you gotta give him credit for that, right? And then a lot of us know the story, right? Nathan again in verse one, sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished, and, and it grew together with him and with his children, and it ate his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now stop and just think of this part of the story. Listen, you're gonna sing something going on here, and I'm kinda wondering, don't read on. Some of you keep reading, stop. I'm talking. And here's David, listen, here's David, and I'm thinking, are you hearing, are you hearing what he's saying? Because this isn't, listen, this isn't some deep code that you gotta kinda try and figure out. He's kinda being very open, right? One very rich guy who had a whole bunch of whatever, and one very poor guy who hardly had anything, who kept the dear lamb close to his heart. There's David and his many wives, and Uriah and his one wife. It's like ding, 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 ding. Wake up, think about what's being said. So listen, I think, I think you know, Nathan's words were chosen very carefully. I don't think he like just came up with this and go, I know, I'll tell him a cool story and then I'll bust him. And he's making him think along the way. And I gotta believe David's processing some of this. 
Not fully, but so he lays that out and then he continues the story, right? Verse four, and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare for the, one, for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. So listen, man, he lays it all out and tells him what's going on. Now, David, and here's what I found, when you're being pulled down by your sin and your life is getting sucked out of you, you're not fun to be around, sorry. You're just not fun to be around. You're usually negative, and worse than that, you're usually very judgmental. People who are in the midst of something like that get extremely judgmental, and if they're believers, and they're just not fun, and they try and invite everybody to their pity party, right? Hey, would you come to my pity party? Most people go, no, I don't want to show up, man. Just pity yourself, and I'll go on with life, right? So, man, listen. He lays that out. Listen to David's reaction. Look at verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, and as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Really? Like, that's a little bit extreme, David. Like, you're going like, According to Exodus chapter 22, you can write that down, look that up later. Those of you who like to read that part of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 22, it says, listen, if you steal a man's ox, you need to replace that ox and you need to replace it with three more. If you steal a man's lamb, sheep, you need to replace it with four more. There's nothing in there about you need to die. David brings capital punishment upon a crime that he knows full well what the payment is. How do I know that? Read the next verse. Listen, it says in verse six, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing because he had no pity. He knows what the, but he says the guy's gonna die. Wow. Once again, when we're caught up in those things, that's usually our reaction to somebody. We read something and we go to the extreme. Why? Because God is convicting us and God is drawing us and, and God is trying to get our attention. And if we're fighting with the Lord and we're not receiving from him, man, it takes a lot of energy. And here's what I found in my life, man. When I'm fighting against God because I want to hang on to some kind of sin, I'm not enjoying my walk with God. I'm not enjoying my relationship with God. I'm not enjoying my relationship with God's people. I'm like, you know, I'm not a fun person at all. And that's where David's at. And I'm thinking, David, why are you doing this? Stop doing this. Come to your senses. And then Nathan, Nathan drops a hammer. David gives his judgment. And verse seven, then Nathan said to David, bro, you're the man. I think sometimes we read that and we think that Nathan stuck his finger in his chest and you're the man. I don't think that's how it went down because here's what I know. Whenever I've had to confront somebody and somebody who I was close to and I cared about, I didn't want to break them down. I just wanted them to realize what was going on. Don't you think Nathan said kind of like I did? Maybe they didn't use the bro term back then. But I think he says, David, you're it, man. This is about you. This isn't no story about no stinking lamb. This is a story about a lady named Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. You're the man. I believe, listen, I believe those words came out of 
Nathan's mouth and David's heart broke. What does the Bible say? David had a heart, right? And a heart after God. That doesn't mean you're perfect. Here's what I love about this. David has blown it, like super blown it. He didn't just like, he didn't, he didn't just like sin a little bit. It's kind of interesting to me. People, there, there are people who when they do things, they do it full force. Like when they go after God and they have a heart after God, they're going 100 million miles an hour. But then when they sin, he's sinning really hard. Listen, he doesn't just like do a couple sins. He commits adultery and then murder. It's like, man, you are, you are crazy. And now listen, I believe his heart is so broke right now. So Nathan says, hey, you're the man, you're it. And then listen to what he says in the middle of verse seven. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your hands, into your keeping, and I gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And if that had not had been too little, I would have also given you much more. What is God saying to David? Have you forgotten, David, how good I've been to you? Because when we sin and we hold on to sin, we begin building this wall between us and God and we begin, listen, we begin to project this whole idea that God is bad and we're not because we're stuck in this thing. And here's what God is saying. I'm good to you, David. Look at everything. And if, hey, all that I gave you, if that wasn't enough, I would have given you so much more. You don't have to go steal somebody's wife. You don't have to go murder that guy. You didn't have to go do those things. I would have given you gladly so much more. But you took it in your own hands. Man, here's what I, here's what I, I just see David kind of going from this, you know, I kill giants, I'm king, and just kind of shrinking down. What have I done how did I get here? Why did this happen? And he's slowly being broken. And then Nathan's not done. Verse 9 Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Have you ever thought of it that way? Hey, when you sin, you're not just making a choice to sin. Listen to what God's heart is. You're despising what God has given you and what God has shown you. I think that's important. I think that's important if we get that in our hearts. I think that will help us not to sin. If I'm understanding God's heart and God says, Pat, when you do that, you're not just sinning and you're not just disobeying me. You're despising. Oh, we're gonna find out in a minute. I'm gonna give it away. When we keep reading, here's what we're gonna find out. Then you despise God himself. When you despise God's uh, God's commandments or let's just put out God's heart and God's principles, you're despising God. So he says, David, why did you do that? I, I, I'm just thinking again, come on, David, don't do this. And, and he says, listen, he says, you have despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight, verse nine, and you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, here's the whole thing. David hadn't told anybody this. Wow. 
Like the only one who knew this, I think is Joab, right? When Joab is commander and Joab, he sent the letter. Remember what he did? Remember? David called uh, Uriah back. David had the affair, called Uriah back and said, hey man, go spend some time with your wife. Take it easy, go spend some time with your wife. And Uriah said, how can I do that when my comrades are out fighting and I can't do that? And David said, sure you can, it's not a problem, just go do it, I'm king, I told you to go do it. And then he gets up in the morning and Uriah's at his doorstep and he goes, well that didn't work. So then he gets him drunk, trying to get him to go home, right? And then he, you know, some of you go, does that happen in the Bible? Yeah, so David got him, right? And then, and then he gets up in the morning and there's Uriah, at his doorstep, he's going, man, this guy won't give up. So here's what he does. He writes a letter to Joab and he says, hey, Joab, make sure this guy's at the front of the line, make sure he's right there so he can get killed. And then here's a nutso thing. He hands it to Uriah and says, take this to your commander. Whoa. Hey, when some people do evil, like I said, they go all in, don't they? So listen, and I think David at this point thought he got away with that. Maybe he's just thinking, listen, maybe up till right now, he's just thinking Nathan's busting him for the adultery. And then he says, you killed Uriah. And how did you kill Uriah? By the hand of the Ammonites. Wow. Like, do you know you can't hide from God? Hey, you can keep your sin secret from a lot of people, and I think most of us do. Most of us are secret sinners. And you can keep it from people, but you can't keep it from God. And God desires for us to come clean with him, for his, him to come to him. So he says, man, listen, you murdered that guy. Verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never, shall never depart from your house because you have despised me, there's that line, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Wow, he says, listen, David, now there are consequences to sin. We're gonna find out David's forgiven, but there's still consequences. And I pray that we understand that. None of us sins just to himself. We influence and affect other people. Now here's what he's saying. From now on, there's gonna be violence in your house. Have you read the rest of the story of David? Here's a crazy thing. You talk about a fourfold, right? There was a fourfold payment for the sheep. Do you know David paid fourfold for the life of Uriah the Hittite? First the baby we're gonna hear about in a minute. Then his son, Amnon. Then Absalom. Then Adonijah. He paid four times for that one life. It cost him dearly. And his house was a turmoil from then on. And so... My Bible says, whatever you reap in Galatians chapter six, what, I'm sorry, whatever you sow, that you will reap. And a lot of us say, yeah, 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 and then we just keep sowing, right? What does he say? I think it's Hosea. Doesn't Hosea say, hey, if you sow to the wind, you're gonna reap a whirlwind. Think about that. So David now is starting to get the idea there's consequences to his sin. Now here's what I love. Look at verse, verse 11. 
or, or in a minute, not right now. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall be with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and be in before the sun. Here's the thing, David, your sin was behind closed doors and if you know the story, Absalom took his wives up on a road I mean, it was a gross thing, right? So God says, here, this is what's gonna happen. So David, this is, what a, this is the good part. Look at verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Yes, yes. Hey, that was a long time to get there. It was like forever, and it's like, David, why didn't you say that in verse two or verse three? And he finally gets to the point, and I want us to recognize something. David completely owns his sin. He doesn't say, I made a mistake. He doesn't say, it was an indiscretion. He doesn't say, and he doesn't say this, we. Like, it's easy to, like, let's all confess together, we have sinned. And he doesn't just say he sinned. What did he say? I have sinned against the Lord. This man's broken now. Now you see why David has a heart after God. When the Bible says we want, you know, we have a heart after God or even us when we want to follow God, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. If any of you are perfect, please see me after the service, sign my Bible, and, you know, we'll go on with things and I'll be blessed, you'll be blessed, and, and we can, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect it means you desire to follow God. And here's a man, gets caught in his sin, gets busted for his sin, and instead of making excuses, hey, how many times do we do, well, you don't understand, it was this situation, and you know, if God wouldn't have put that woman up on the, the thing bathing, well, it was her fault. What's she doing up on the rooftop bathing anyway? I just went out for, you know, out for a little walk, and poof, it's in my eyes, and you know, listen, I have sinned. I have blown it. I love that. David taking full responsibility for what has happened and not giving excuses. Psalm 51, you gotta read that for homework. I'm gonna read some bits and pieces of it. But in Psalm 51, and again, I think he wrote it right after this. Listen, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Listen, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, listen carefully, are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Wow. David's at that place and you're going, yes, yes. There's still more. Verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Oh, and some of you might say, well, he sinned against Bathsheba and he did those things. But you need to remember something. Our sin, first and foremost, is against a holy, righteous God. 
and we need to understand that. So I've sinned against the Lord, and Nathan said to David, listen, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Does that mean David's never gonna die? No, why did Nathan say that? What was the penalty for stealing a sheep? You gave four sheep back. What was the penalty for adultery? Death. What was the penalty for murder? Death. That's what David deserved. Don't ever forget that. Because sometimes we go, well, how come? Hey, David deserved death. What does God say? Hey, you're not gonna die. What does that mean? I've forgiven your sin. It's covered. And eventually will be covered by the blood of Jesus. It's taken care of. David, you're not gonna die. But, again, there's consequences. There's forgiveness, but there's consequences. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child who is born to you shall surely die. Oh, this is a little innocent infant. Bummer, man. You read this part, and, and this part gets hard, doesn't it? Come on, for all of us. Do you ever read this part and go, wow. Why the baby? Why an innocent child? Because sin has consequences. And I don't believe, listen, I don't be, believe it could become any more clear other than the cross of Jesus Christ than to read this story and understand when you sin, there's consequences. And consequences don't go away just because you confess and just because you're forgiven. There's still consequences. And he says, this child is gonna die. That's intense. Now, listen, I'm not gonna spend all the rest of the morning trying to defend God in this situation. There's a lot of questions that pop up. And if you have those questions, you know, come in, see Pastor Jack. He'll answer all of your, your questions and get that all straightened out. But listen, I know there's a lot of questions and things we have to work through and some theology we gotta try and kind of figure out. But I just, I don't want us to get all tied up. Listen, we can go down that rabbit trail and completely miss the whole point of this is that there are consequences to our sins. And some of them are severe. God, I believe, is chastening David. In a little while in Hebrews, we're gonna to get to the chastening part of Hebrews that we all love to read and, and, and study. But chastening, listen, I wrote this down. Chastening is not punishment meted out by an angry judge who wants to uphold the law. Rather, it is difficultly permitted by a loving father who wants his children to submit to his will and develop godly character. You see the difference? And he needs a, he kind of needs a spanking is what he needs. He needs a big boy spanking, right? You've blown it. So then Nathan departed, verse 15, Nathan departed to his house and the Lord struck the child and Uriah's wife, uh, struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and the child became ill. Verse 16, David therefore pleaded with God for the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell, to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, indeed, 
While the child was alive, uh, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do, he may do some harm or technically it says this, some evil. Now, I want us to pay attention to a couple things here. Number one, these guys, listen, these guys don't want to approach David. The child's died. David spent time fasting and praying. Part of that fasting and praying, sure, he wanted the child to be well. Hey, when we pray for people, I want people to be healed. I want people to be healed miraculously. That's why we do what we do. But God's got his own plan, right? And so part of the fasting is to get your heart in the same place as God's heart. So listen, David wasn't on a hunger strike. That's what I call modern day fasting. People will say, I'm gonna fast till God does this. That's a hunger strike, that's not fasting. When you fast, listen, fasting is to change you, not to fix God. But David is seeking the Lord during this time, wanting his son to be healed. And hey, he's extreme about it. And now these guys go, the baby died. And I can kind of see this group of guys, you tell them, no, you tell them. No, I'm not telling them, you tell them. You tell them, you know what David does, man. He's kind of like, we don't know how he's gonna react. And they're freaked out, right? They go, well, they don't know what he's gonna do. Now that should give us a little bit of hint of the boldness it took for Nathan to go talk to David, right? Hey, if you got the guys who are closest to him going, I'm not doing it, no, you do it. They're not doing it. Hey, he's kind of a, he's kind of a loose cannon at times, I think. So they're having this whole discussion And then verse 19, when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, the child's dead. Or is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. It's kind of like this. They're over there going. And when David got close, they would go. Isn't that irritating when you walk up and people are like. And you walk up and. What were you talking about? Oh, the weather. No, you were talking about me and my dead kid, right? So David says, come on, guys. The, he's dead, isn't he? And they go, yeah. Now, here's, here's all of that was introduction to the faith of David. You want to see some faith? You want to see some real biblical faith? And here's what I mean. Someone who trusts God and somebody who, what is the definition of faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, right? We've kind of got to go over that and over that. Now check this out. This is, this is like, this is when David becomes a real hero to me. Look at what happens here. He says, the child is dead. So verse 20, so David went from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Underline that. What did David do when he got news that the child had died, that the Lord told him the child was gonna die? Check this out. David did not get mad at God. He did not question God. He did not question God's goodness. He didn't question God's integrity. What did he do? He went and worshiped God. He went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped God. Does that kind of blow your minds? That's a good thing. Now you know why he had a heart after God. You know why he was told that. Listen, he goes, I love that. He goes into the house of God and he worships the Lord. And then it says, listen, to, and worship. And then he went to his own house, the end of verse 20, went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive 
but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And David said to them, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? And then he says this, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. There's the faith. Do you hear what David is saying? David believed he would see his son again. David believed his son was in heaven. I think this verse has brought more comfort to people who lose infants and children than any other verse in the Bible. And what bums me out is the, the, I call them the pipe smokers, you know, the guys who have all the intellect in the world and, you know, they they got symbols behind their name, PhD, D, F, G, whatever, and they have all of that and they go, well, you know, in the original language, it doesn't say he went to heaven, it just said he was gonna go be with him and maybe he's just talking about the place of the dead. Oh, that's real comforting. He died, so I'm gonna die. Would David really say that? And we know that he didn't go, he wasn't talking about the kid being in hell because David knows he's not going to go. David's got, listen, why is his heart comforted? Because he says, he doesn't say, I know I'm gonna die. He knew that before the kid died. He says, I know that he's not gonna come to me, but I'm gonna go to him. Yeah. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Here is faith in action. I believe probably one of the most, and I I could be wrong, but I think one of the most traumatic events in a person's life would be losing a child. I I haven't suffered that. I know some who have. And I think it would be even worse losing an infant. And here we see a man who lost an infant son, probably less than a month old, and here's what he says. I'm okay. I can trust my God. Do you hear him saying that? I can trust my God. In the midst of him being chastened for his sin and all that's going on, here's what he knows. God is righteous. God is just. God is perfect. God is gracious. God is good. We can just go on. God is love. All of those things. And I love this, man. This is what I love about David. Hey, you can slew giants, but not too many people face life like this. This is faith in action. And that's my prayer for us, that we would learn from David, face our adversity and our trials and our things going on, face them trusting God, not knowing, hey, David didn't get delivered out of nothing. What changed? The kid died. But he's got that hope. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this test that we have for uh, just having to look at David and the things going on in his life. And I know for some of us, listen, we look at this and, and I know some of us are still caught on the whole idea of why did the infant have to die because of David's sin and, and we're never gonna resolve that. It's kind of like I look at those things and I put them under, that's none of my business. Here's what I do know. I don't go with the things I don't know. I go with the things I do know. 
And I know, God, you are perfect. You are just, you are righteous, you're good. And I know, God, I know that I can trust you even when I'm walking through the greatest tragedy of my life, the worst circumstances I could ever think of or dream of. I know in the midst of those, I can trust you because your word has shown that to me. And I pray for my brothers and sisters standing with me right now. God, that we would be men and women who were willing to trust our God. We can look at the last dozen or so people we've looked at and understand they faced adversity in life and simultaneously they trusted their God in the midst of those adversities and every time, every time, you were there with them and use that to encourage us as we walk and navigate through our world and our life. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple more minutes. And you know, maybe you are here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And we read this story and it kind of, listen, maybe it kind of hits you and, and you're saying, I don't have that in my life, but I want that in my life. I desire that. If that's you, if I'm talking to you, I'm gonna challenge you right now. Take a step of faith and ask God into your life. You gotta start by letting God know that you know you're a sinner. That's where it all begins. Listen, if you can't, if you can't come to that place, you're not gonna trust him for other things. So you've gotta, you've gotta confess to him. That's called confession. You gotta tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned against a holy and righteous God. And the wages of that sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ took your place and he paid the penalty you paid and now here today, this morning, right now, he holds out to you this paid in full receipt. All you gotta do is take it. So if I'm speaking to you this morning, I wanna challenge you, take this step of faith. Say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter, but what does matter is your heart. You need to be sincere. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer at home. If you're backslidden right now, if you're backslidden, man, come back to Jesus. You didn't come to church by mistake. Hey, you walked in here because God is drawing you, just like he drew uh, David through Nathan. God is drawing you. Come home, come back to Jesus. Again, you can say this out loud, you can say it silently, but make it from a sincere heart. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.